Warning, the following message may be offensive to some audiences. These audiences may include but are not limited to professing Christians who never read their Bible, sissies, sodomites, men with man buns, those who approve of men with man buns, man bun enablers, white knights for men with man buns, homemakers who have finished Netflix but don't know how to meal plan, and people who refer to their pets as fur babies. Your discretion is advised. People are tired of hearing nothing but doom and despair on the radio. The message of Christianity is that salvation is found in Christ alone, and any who reject Christ therefore forfeit any hope of salvation, any hope of heaven. The issue is that humanity is in sin and the wrath of Almighty God is hanging over our heads. They will hear his words, they will not act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment, when the fires of wrath come, they will be consumed and they will perish. God wrapped himself in flesh, condescended, and became a man, died on the cross for sin, was resurrected on the third day, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he sits now to make intercession for us. Jesus is saying there is a group of people who will hear his words, they will act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment come in that final day, their house will stand. Welcome to Bible Bash, where we aim to equip the saints for the works of ministry by answering the questions you're not allowed to ask. We're your host, Harrison Carrig and Pastor Tim Mullet, and today we'll answer the age-old question, is absolute truth a lie? Now, Tim, for me, this is one of those questions that I feel like I've only just recently seen people bring up more and more, and I can't really tell if that's because this is sort of, you know, the first time in a while people have started resorting to this claim that there is no absolute truth or, you know, that maybe there is absolute truth, but we just, we can never know if we know what is true. Um, So I can't tell if it's just people are bringing this up, you know, for the first time in a long time, or if it's just my sort of limited perspective in terms of, you know, I've only been, I've only sort of been running in these circles for a few years now myself. And so I don't, you know, I'm not exactly the most grizzled, you know, hardened veteran <laughs> there is. <laughs> so, right. what, so what's the deal? Is this one of those things that has just always been an argument that people bring up or, or is this a relatively, you know, new or sort of recycled claim that people are making? Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of that has to do with the fact that you are essentially um, interacting with people on the internet and skeptics in general, and maybe you haven't been exposed to a lot of, you know, internet atheist skeptics. Uh, Not in, in real life. I thought they were, I thought they were a myth. I thought they were like a, a thing you read about, but you never actually see. <laughs> yeah. So we, you know, we live in the Bible belt and because we live in the Bible belt and, you know, a vast majority of people at least pretend to be Christians, you, you know, in, yeah, in the South yeah. and they may never go to church. They may, may never, you know, darken the doors of a church except for on Easter, Christmas, or something like that. But maybe, they at least pre- maybe on Easter and Christmas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they at least pretend to be, you know, good, you know, Christians as far as those things are concerned. But, um, but yeah, in, in many ways, I think it's probably related to the fact that you're interacting with more people on the internet. But then, you know, the idea of, um, you know, this uh, skepticism of the notion of absolute truth. This really is a feature of postmodernism, and you know, postmodernism is basically a reaction to modernism. And modernism, you know, basically started in the 1900s. And it, you know, these are you know ideologies that are coming out of the Enlightenment and all that. But uh, you you know, modernism when you see it. Like if you if you think about um, like the World Fair 
things like that. The World mm-hmm. Fair or the World of Tomorrow, you know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like movies, you, you, you know, movies where there's this optimism, like this strong sense of optimism that, uh, you know, when um, in 20, I mean, I remember growing up, um, there's this strong sense of, you know, optimism that, you know, when 2020 comes, we'll have flying cars and all this and 2020 came and gone and we didn't have flying cars yet, but <laughs> you just get coronavirus instead. You just got coronavirus. <laughs> uh, but you, you know what I'm talking about? Like those movies with like the world there and the world of tomorrow. And like, there's just this hope that like science will conquer everything. Right. Uh-huh, right so that yeah. like if, if we're just, we're advancing at such a rapid rate and, you know, we can know things and like, we can know things like with certainty and we're going to overcome, you know, all the problems that exist. And, and part of what's happened is that postmodernism was a reaction to that that happened after World War II. And, you know, it's been steadily um, increasing, you know, over the course of just, um, you know, my life in general growing up, things started to become more and more heavily dominated by postmodernism. And postmodernism is basically just like a radical skepticism. And, and, and you know, there's a lot of factors uh, as to why people begin to adopt this uh, radical kind of skepticism that we're talking about there. But, um, you know, some of those things have to do with the fact that we're living in a world essentially that um, is over, you know, overcrowded with information. Mm-hmm. So we're basically like living in a time where there's so much information and people are disillusioned about, you know, what's true and what's false and, you know, all the fake news kind of discussions and, you know, how do I know what's real? How do I know what's right? Um and so, you know, postmodernism was kind of this reaction to modernism that, as I've said, I, I grew up in. And, and a lot of the novel, like this showed up in a lot of the novels that, you know, I would even read to where, you know, I, I grew up kind of reading Star Wars novels and things like that. And like, um, you know, there's a whole whole series of like Star Wars books that are, you know, based on this premise of moral relativism where the Jedi essentially embraced moral relativism. And that was a you know, basically a feature of all the books. But then we're kind of moving past that, like in terms of like academic discourse, you know, we're kind of moving into a post postmodernism uh, kind of phase now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, post postmodernism is kind of like characterized by critical theory and intersectionality and all that. And so like the, the pressing questions that people have now are not so much, um, you know, nothing can be known, right? It's not like the radical skepticism. Like when you, when you're thinking about the way critical theory and intersectionality works, there's a lot of confidence that they're on the right side of history. Right. Right. Uh, And so it's different than modernism, like in terms of like an optimism that you're going to fix the world, but like they're like, you're moving away from kind of the radical skepticism. But then when you're interacting with, uh, you know, internet trolls, you know, you're probably internet interacting with, you know, internet trolls influenced by postmodernism, which is now starting to go out of fashion a little bit. Yeah. They're they're lagging behind, huh? They're they're (laughs) lagging behind, but they're still um, recycling the same kind of nonsensical arguments that they were making before for sure. Yeah. So, okay. So it's, so basically long story short, what you're saying is it's, kind of sort of relatively a new idea you know if we're talking hundreds if we're talking like centuries right yeah i mean it's 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 a new idea in the sense that you know post-world war ii like i you know there's a newness to to like the like the radical form of skepticism that you can't you know know anything but then you know these kind of intellectual ideas they move in and move out and you know certainly i mean um you know, um, Pilate says to Jesus, you know, what is truth? And that's like a classic kind of postmodern, you know, um, question <laughs> as far as yeah. it's concerned. But I mean, that's, I mean, that's obviously, um, 
you know, not he wasn't influenced by postmodernism at that time, but that is like just skepticism in general is a feature of life in a fallen world to where, um, you know, if someone is making a truth claim, you know, certainly people are going to respond with, how do you know that that's right? Right, right. How do you know that's true? Right. Yeah. So, okay. So when it comes to the title question that we're asking here, is absolute truth a lie? You know, we're ta- we're basically taking aim at postmodernism, that sort of the skepticism that you're talking about. So, yep. so what is what is your response to that question? Is absolute truth a lie? Are they right? You know, are we <laughs> are we you know fools for thinking mm-hmm. that that there is any absolute truth? <laughs> well, I mean, certainly, yeah, that's the question that the postmoderns are you know, leveling against Christians as far as that's concerned that, you know, um, truth is, absolute truth is a lie. This is a myth. Uh, but then the problem with that is that, like, it's self-defeating on the face of it. So, you know, if you're going to say that, you know, absolute truth is a lie, you're making an absolute claim, right? So, <laughs> you're, 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 I mean, you're essentially yeah. saying that I, I know for certain that, um, you know, I know for certain that, there can't be anything that you know for certain. And so you basically, yeah, you've, you're sitting on a branch of a tree that you've sawed off at that point. To right. You're making a very dogmatic truth claim that uh, is without foundation at that point, for sure. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's obviously logically self-defeating um, to say, um, I mean, to make that sort of claim. And, you know, more sophisticated, like skeptics, they can, you know, modify that slightly, but it still ends up in the same kind of place. But yeah, no, I mean, it's self-defeating. Um, it's a self-defeating kind of claim. But then as you read through the Bible, there's a lot of um, statements in the Bible that lead us to think that truth is not some sort of like illusion that we can know things and that we can confidently know things and we can know things with certainty. So, you know, you can think about uh, John eight thirty through 32 where Jesus, uh, where where John, you know, basically is telling us um, as narrator, narrator, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who have believed in him, if you abide my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So, you know, Jesus had some concept of the truth and that he was the truth and that his disciples had access to truth. And then, you know, Luke, yeah, basically um good historian that he is he basically says this in luke 1 1 in as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us just as those who are from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us it seemed good to me also having followed all these things closely for some time past to write an orderly account to you most excellent theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught so uh, certainly the bible is um making um, reference to this category of truth and Jesus is truth and God is truth, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, and, you know, the scriptural writers were painstakingly uh, compiling the things that they compiled so that we'd have confidence that we have access to this concept of the postmodern say that it's impossible for us to have. So with that being said, you know, what, what does that mean? So what, what, when we're, when we're talking about truth, what are we even talking about? What do we mean when we're using that word truth, if you had to define it? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, if you're just talking about truth, I mean, truth is, um, you, 
basically corresponds to who God is, like in terms of his nature, in terms of who he is as a person, in terms of how he's made the world. And so, I mean, you know, truth comes in different forms. You have general revelation that tells us that God, like that there must be some sort of being, you know, who has created the world uh, with power and the creation itself like declares like his glory, right? So mm-hmm. you can look around the world, you can see the world is, shows evidence of design, like we're complicated beings, like we're... Um, we're irreducibly complex uh, kind of beings, and you know it's um, the world itself bears witness to this you know reality. So you have these two categories: you have general revelation that te- teaches us that there's a God who made us with power, and then you have special revelation, and both of these things are pointing to you know they're, they're both revelations of who God is, but then God ultimately is the source of truth, and everything you know that is true is going to correspond with like reality as it's been created by our creator if that makes sense and so you know what truth is is it's you know things that are right which correspond to the world that god made essentially so does so does that mean that you know when someone comes along and they say hey there is no absolute truth or you know we can't know what is absolutely true is that essentially a rejection of god yeah, I mean, it's essentially suppressing the nature of God. And in, in both of those things, like, so the first thing is there's no such thing as absolute truth. That would be more the sloppy, like postmodern way of criticizing the concept mm-hmm. of absolute truth. So like there is no such thing as absolute truth. And then the more modest like proposal is the second one you mentioned where like basically it's there may be, you know, may or may not be absolute truth, but we can't, you know, know for certain whether or not that absolute truth actually exists, if that makes sense. Right. Uh, but then, you know, like either way, like the first point was either way, those are self-defeating, right? So if you say absolute truth does like doesn't exist, right? It's like a lie. You're making an absolute claim. Right. But then if you try to modify it slightly to say, hey, you know, maybe it exists, maybe it doesn't exist. There's no way we can possibly know. You've still made an absolute claim, right? Right, yeah. To we, say that there's no way we, we can't, can't know. know. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. So if it is, yeah. So, but essentially, yeah, that's what ha- what's happening is when people are denying the existence of truth, they're suppressing like the not like they're um, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. This is basically the problem with Romans one, that they, um, you know, they in- they ignored what could be made known about God, which is plain to them, right? And, and they suppress the truth and unrighteousness, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the, you know, incorruptible God into, you know images resembling you know creatures and all that so yes so i mean fundamentally like a rejection of truth is rejection of god because god made the world and god is truth right and what he says goes and so if you're saying there's no such thing as truth you're saying there is like god there's no like this is just blind meaningless random chance like the world is just like putty in our hands that we can do whatever we want with but then i mean it just like you're um you're denying reality as it exists. <laughs> and that's what's, that's the problem is that like, there's obviously things that are true, right? Like there's mm-hmm. obviously like um, you existing. That's true. You're here. You know, you can see, you know, if you have eyes, like if you're not blind, you can see, right? Your senses are giving you information. Like, um, Well, I might be a part of the matrix though. <laughs> um, <laughs> even, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I don't actually think I'm a part of the matrix. (laughs) I mean, but even if you're a part of the matrix, you still exist, right? Somehow I exist. (laughs) Yeah, you exist. Like, you know, so it may be that like uh, you're deceived about certain aspects of the life that, you know, as it exists, but you still exist. right? So I think therefore I am like that's um, that 
there is something to that. <laughs> so for sure. Okay. So, so we've, you know, essentially said, Hey, so there is absolute truth, right? But every time we're saying truth, you know, truth, absolute truth, it's the same thing, right? Right. Right. Okay. So, we, so we've said like, yes, there is absolute truth. No, it's not a lie. Um, and, and in fact, you know, to claim that absolute truth doesn't exist or that it does exist, but we can't know what it is. Number one, both of those things are um, self-contradicting, but then they're also uh, functioning as a rejection of God, right? Yeah, both general revelation and specific revelation. They're rejecting both. Right. So you're, you're not only contradicting yourself, you're not only wrong, but you're also rejecting God, you know, at the same time, which is, which is wrong. <laughs> but, right. um, so, so with that sort of foundation being laid, how, uh, how can we know what is true? You know, so, so let's go beyond just the, just the like, Hey, they're wrong part of this and talk about, well, how do we, you know, how do we actually figure out what is you know true what what we can actually count on yeah well i'm, I'm not sure that this uh question is all that i mean there, there's a sense in which it's like a complicated question to answer like how do you know what is true uh, but then like there's another sense in which um it really isn't as hard as what people are making it out to be okay so people people are making like so like if you start with the latter like like in terms of people are treating this question as if it's just a fundamental fundamentally some sort of incomprehensible riddle or something along those lines it's just impossible to know but then you know as you look around the world that exists the world that god has made like there's um there's obviously um things that are incontrovertible if that makes sense and so like the, like the issue is like with romans one when people are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness it's not as if like um um like the information that your senses are giving are just giving you just a convoluted mess of like irrationality or something like that. So, you know, so like it may be like just helpful to think through what Romans one is saying at that point. And, you know, like what's, what's, um, what, what Romans one is saying is, you know, Romans one eighteen, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It, and then it says in verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to him. For his indivisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And so like you're basically you're asking this question as if it's just um, like it's a hard question to answer, right? Mm-hmm. So like, there's a sense in which it's like, and, and that's what like the atheists are saying and that's what the skeptics are saying. But you know, from the perspective of like God, like God has made certain things very plain that, right. that individuals are suppressing and unrighteousness. Yeah. And so what I mean is like, you know, like the, um, you know, there's different like philosophical arguments that are trying to get at this basic point. But, you know, w- one of those arguments is essentially to say that like, if you were to walk on a beach and if you were to see like a stopwatch on the ground, like what mm-hmm. would you assume? There's a, I'm at the beach and there's a watch that someone left on the ground. All right. So someone must've made it right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, like one of the most irrational assumptions you can make at that moment would be to say that that thing just like developed 
you know, through by chance, blind, random chance. Some might say like by that. accident. <laughs> right, right. And so, like, the, the issue is it's just too complex, right? So sure, it's just yeah. it's, it's too complex. So you look at a watch on the ground, like, you think about, like, the way a watch works, and, and you're looking at it laying on the ground, you're saying that's so complex it can't just happen. And so that's what your senses are telling you. That's what your experience is telling you. That's what your, your, your reason is telling you, that this is too complex. In the same way, like, if you were to walk in the middle of the forest – and you were to see like just a, you know, a uh, meadow or whatever that had grass like that high, right? Mm-hmm. Like all the way, to, like no weeds whatsoever, like nothing in there, right? Yeah. And you would think someone put that there, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like because you know, like what happens with your own yard and you know everything else. Like you know that like you know nature when it's left alone, it tends to chaos right it doesn't right. tend towards like order in that way and so like you know that weeds would come you know that there wouldn't be this just perfectly green grass in the middle of the wood you know per- all the same exact height that like bears evidence of like human Im- interaction and manipulation someone's spraying some weed be gone huh someone's doing <laughs> someone must be doing something right some roundup so, <laughs> now, now but i mean when you think about like who we are as human beings like you can look around the world and you say that hey man like we are way more complex than that stopwatch, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Like we are so complex. Like we are so complex to the point where like it's just irrational to view us through any other lens. And, and so, I mean, I, I God, um, you know, God like had a plan to create us as people. And like there's so many aspects of who we are that's just like unfathomably complex um they're irreducibly complex like in the language of philosophy in that way and you know so like darwin you know one of the things he said was that the way you disprove evolution is that you show that the world is irreducibly complex and that's just a phrase that basically means that like um the world is so complicated to the point where you can't like take one feature out of like the design of some sort of organism and it still function. And so like to give you a metaphor to, like to explain how this works, I mean, think about the way a mousetrap works. So with a mousetrap, you have like, you have a base, right? Yeah. And then you have a pr- pressure plate and then you have a spring, right? And um, then you have like a bar, right? So you have like, you have all these parts on a mousetrap, but then if you were to take a part, if you were to take like one of those things off, like the whole thing would fall apart. Right. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, now, like Darwin says, the way you disprove evolution is to show that the world is irreducibly complex. It's so complex that if you take away one part, it falls apart. Well, the problem is that the more that we've learned about science, the more we realize that things are way, way more complicated than what we thought they are. Mm-hmm. And the more, like, they're just way more. So, like, like, think about the way evolution trains you to think. Evolution trains you to think that you have this mousetrap. And you're going to like every few years have some sort of random mutation where it's going to leap forward. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what's going to happen. So you have your base. Right. Yeah. And then then what what's going to happen is all of a sudden this base is going to grow a Spikes. pressure plate. <laughs> okay, a pressure plate. <laughs> it's gonna, all right, it's gonna, you know, grow a spring or something. Well, it's like, well, you have a base and a spring. Now, the problem is that, like, that didn't get, confer any survival advantage to your, you know, quote unquote mousetrap, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because it can't do anything until it gets four evolutionary leaps down. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so the world is that complex. And when you think about the, how complex we actually are, you can't just take certain things out. Mm-hmm. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And like 
so like evolution tells us that we start from simple and we grow to complex, complex, complex. Everything our eyes tell us tells us that that isn't the way that nature actually works. Right. Nature goes from order to disorder, not from disorder to order. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like that's not the way it actually works in real life that, that we can observe. But then, you know, you think about like your skin, you know, just to camp on this point for a second, I'll, and I'll explain the significance. Like God, like, you know, I don't know if you've ever really thought about this, but you know, I, you may think like, hey, you know, why didn't God make us stronger than what we are or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. if he if he made us like 10 times as strong as we are, then we might accidentally punch like a hole through people, right? <laughs> I guess so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So, but then like, right, well, he could fix that too by giving us like, skin that was metal right adamantium skin <laughs> yeah right, but the problem is if he, if he gave a skin that was metal in order to compensate for the super strength that we have then you would have like like think about like all the things that that would change okay mm -hmm. so like now you have metal skin well now you don't have any way to regulate your temperature as an organism right <laughs> uh-huh yeah like see so like when when it's hot like your your skin would like super heat up right yeah I'd be right? glowing or something. You'd be glowing, right? And then, um, you, but then, like, you think if you had like metal skin or something like that, like you have metal skin, you like, what would happen if you get hit really hard with it? You, you'd have a dent in your skin, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> have you thought about you've thought about this before, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, but then, like, but 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 think though, like, you'd have a dent in your skin, like that wouldn't just come back out, right? Yeah. And then, uh, so you wouldn't be able to have like sweat glands at that point to remove some of the temperature out of that you wouldn't really even be able to feel like what it's like to touch another human being right mm -hmm. yeah and so i mean but that's just like so you tinker with the design a little bit what, what i'm trying to say is like every part of the human design it all works together with a bunch of different things right so like um you know like everything has a purpose like everything has a function and you start messing around with it and you're messing around with like a 10 different things at once. And that just show, goes to show like human beings as organisms, like we're just like, we're very, very complex, right? right. Like we're more complicated than, you know, anything that we could ever make. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can't make cameras that replicate our eyes. We're not yeah, even close. So like, <laughs> like we're so complicated, like we're so complicated. And then you have like, um, you know, all this variety within the human species itself. And then like you think about the way the world is like, like it's, like the conditions, like um, these are called, like in the language of science, like anthropic constants. Uh, but the con the conditions necessary for life to exist in the world, is, are, like they're just so precise. Like if if our planet, like um, we're just a little bit further away from the sun, we'd freeze to death, right? If it was a little closer, we'd burn to death. You know, we have to have like a big planet like Jupiter, you know, a couple planets away from us uh -huh. in order to keep us in our orbit. You know, so like like it's all like we're rotating at the exact level we need to rotate. Like if um, if the moon was a little bit bigger, there'd be massive out of control tides. If it was a little bit smaller, right? Like so, I mean, there's like all these like everything is held together by this precarious kind of balance that like we're hanging on the knife edge of extinction or something and god's upholding <laughs> the world by the word of his power but the reason why i say all that th those kind of things though is not just to you know go on a big rabbit trail it's just to say you're asking well how do you know what's truth and like you could like, what i'm trying to say is like there's a sense in which like like you look around the world and you see hey we are obviously designed right yeah yeah 
like we're obviously designed man we're like we didn't just happen like that doesn't just right. happen in real life like we're designed we're made right like and so someone made us like something like greater than ourselves made us and in language of Romans one like this is just plain right yeah this is made like you have to like be an idiot to deny it essentially right mm-hmm. who's like um you know not like an intellectual idiot but like a moral fool to deny yeah. the fact that you're real that you exist and that you were made you know and you look at like like the fact that you can uh you, you know you and your wife can make a child and you see the child come out of you, you know you see a child come out and you think man how did that this is a new person right like this is life and so you know i, I think there's a sense in which like um like knowing the truth you don't have to have like a complicated degree in philosophy to realize that like there is truth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you exist. Um, like there's right and wrong, <laughs> you know? And, and like, I mean, even the most hardened skeptic who is sitting there saying truth is relative, right? Like you can test their, they don't believe that truth is relative. All you have to do is get a hot cup of coffee hold it above their head and say, you know, (laughs) (laughs) would it be right or wrong for me to pour this on your head? Right. (laughs) Well, truth uh, is relative. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You know, but they would sue you just like that, you know? And so, I mean, like, right, right, right. there's right and there's wrong, right? Like there's, um, there's good and there's, there's evil, right? You exist. um, And when you do, you know, commit wrong things, you feel intensely, guilty right and so like there's there's evidence like in the world like the general revelation would tell you all that right without even getting the special revelation general revelation would tell you all those things and when you get through special revelation god you know testifies to the truthfulness of his word with you know the inward testimony of the holy spirit which confirms you know what um our eyes are telling us and you know i mean there's nothing more reliable than the bible you know the more you read the bible you are reading truth and you can look around the world and you can look at it in light of the bible and everything the bible says about it is right and so it's it's you know it uh, it's verified within you know the testimony of the holy spirit in your heart but then it's easily empirically verified just by looking around the world and saying that everything god says is true and everything he says is right and right um you know you know the grass withers the flowers fade but the word of god stands forever for sure. Yeah, and it isn't that you know interesting. I mean, we're talking about Romans one specifically right now, and a little bit of of um, the Gospels too, where Jesus Jesus is making claims about um, him being truth and the truth setting us free, and we can you know we can trust we can trust and count on those things. It's pretty interesting, and sometimes I think we take this for granted a lot of times, where we read we read verses like that, and then. We, you know, we look up from our Bible to view the rest of the world and we see exactly what the Bible was describing playing out in our in our own cultures, in our own societies, even today. So you're talking about these writings that are thousands of years old at this point, you know, written written by people uh, on the other side of the on the other side of the world in a completely different cultural context and. Uh, societal context, historical context, all of these things to a completely, you know, different original audience. Um, you know, uh, so like for Paul, it would have been, you know, the early churches and, and Asia Minor and, and whatnot. And um, for example, and so we're reading, we're reading these passages and then we're looking up and seeing that, oh, hey, all of these things are still true today even, right? I mean, how many, you know, 
how many people make make claims about things every day that continue to be right thousands of years into the future? Not many. You're right. No, right. I mean, if any at all. I mean, even other even other religions, their books are filled with um, uh, contradictions and and prophecies that didn't happen or you know haven't come true um and and yet the bible still stands and i think you know i think even even secular people recognize this through gritted teeth i i i might be misremembering so this may not be true but i feel like i remember time magazine even coming out with an issue this would have been years ago um you know, essentially saying something along the lines of like the Bible still stands, you know, like no one, no one has, no one has been able to discredit the Bible. I mean, people, people claim they have, but then they're not, you know, they don't have any sort of uh, like actual proof that they have. They just think they have in their own mind. And, and so it's interesting to see that we can read these, we can read these things that Paul is saying and Jesus is saying, and John is saying, and, you know, Peter and and uh, James and the prophets and and they still hold true even to this day and not only do they hold true but then like they're obviously true like you were saying they're obviously true and the only the only the only time um, uh, truth is obscured is is uh, when we're in just completely you know when you're living in like a completely unrepentant life consumed by sin right and that's why jesus i think that's why jesus is saying you know the truth will set you free right he, he's alluding to uh at least in part what paul is talking about the fact that um people who live in unrepentant sin who live in open rebellion against god they're they're confounded by the truth the truth is not plain to them because they're suppressing it in their own unrighteousness right Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's been, you know, many universities who've declared war on the Bible and, you know, I, I think it was University of Chicago, but I could be wrong. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it was them. University of Chicago, who was basically saying that there was no such thing as the Hittites, but then now there's, uh, you know, they, they have. They, <laughs> they've uncovered it. And now their school is devoted to studying the Hittites, you know, right. as far as yeah. and so there's many such things like that. You know, the, the grass withers, the flowers fade, the word of God remains forever and you know as much as like we're intent upon denying the reality of truth um you know it truth exists um you know and, and it can can be known right so right yeah and, I, and that's why you know i always i always tell people kind of jokingly but then this is a true statement you know sin makes you stupid <laughs> yeah it, i mean it really does it really does make <laughs> really does make you stupid so you know if you think about like the, the nature of the way the world actually exists like we're we're dead set on trying to overturn like this notion of truth and you know at truth every is level at, at every, every level. level yeah yeah and truth is relative and you know your truth my truth um you know you live your truth i live my truth you know all that stuff is just products of postmodernism in general where uh, individuals like they really have a god complex they really believe that they can remake reality and their, their own image and you know the world is just like plato to them you know you can change pronouns you can change the meaning of words you know <laughs> like um but then like there are just like biological realities that we're just dead set on 
denying. I mean, and and you know, the more that we do we do these these kind of things, I mean, like stupid stupid never works really. So we can <laughs> yeah we can play stupid, but yeah, you know, you know in, in the long run, stupid stupid doesn't work. People are um yeah people are going to orient themselves in general around things that are right. Right. But then, you know, I think the other, the other part of this and that kind of conversation is you, you said this earlier and I wanted to come back to this, you know, you made a distinction between, um, people who are highly intellectual, but, yep. but fools. Right? right. So there, so there are people in the world who, who come off as smart, right. But then, yeah, are, I mean, but then are ultimately oops. fools. Right. And yeah, I mean, there's a certain kind of stupid that's only possible when you have like very high levels of intelligence. Right. And so, right. So, so, but that's more of a moral folly, and you know, if you have a mind that's like unhitched from morality and unhitched from the Bible, it can go in some very um, weird way, very weird directions. You know, and and, and you know, there's <laughs> there's a sociopathic pathic tendencies that are accessible, you know, at very high levels of intelligence. Too. Sure. Yeah. So there's th- things along those lines, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's, um, um, there's plenty of very intellectual, very, um, intelligent people who are encouraging people just to deny like the basic facts you right. know, that they can observe. And like, sometimes, I mean, like, um, you know, your standard garden variety redneck, um, knows a little bit more about the world than your university professor. And and part of that is just because like once you adopt a series of absurd propositions and you devote your life to, you know, explaining the world through the lens of these absurd propositions, like um, all that you're really doing at that point is just, you know, expanding upon folly because Mm -hmm. the foundation is bad. And so if you have a bad foundation, you can, pool knowledge on this bad foundation. And I mean, a lot of like the dating systems you think about, like as it relates to things like evolution and, you know, age of the earth and everything else, like you just, you have um, a lot of creative story writing that mm-hmm. is being done on a very bad foundation. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like you can just, um, you know, as I've kind of watched like dinosaur, like shows with my kids and things like that. And like, they elaborate on like, you know, this dinosaur type, right? So sure. this dinosaur existed and like, this is its habitat and this is its traits and this is its, um, you know, um, food and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and this is its coloring and pigmenting and, and all that. But then when you like trace it down to how are they making all these like determinations, you realize that they found like a bone, you know, <laughs> 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 they're extrapolating. They're extrapolating all that from the presence of a bone. I mean, that's not you know. I'm not adopting some kind of radical dinosaur skepticism or something like that. I'm just trying to say that that's a lot. Like, and a lot of what you have is you have a bunch of creative story writing. Right. That, that's being done. This been this built on a very poor foundation, and so like when you think about the way that they're uh, even coming up with, like the stories that they're telling, they're all based on like assumption after assumption after assumption. That's bad, right? So you have a bad foundation. You have assumptions that are built on this foundation. So I mean, you look at like, like, like just think about like dinosaurs are being buried at different levels in the ground. Mm-hmm. Like, and what you're supposed to believe is you're supposed to believe that that means that. Like these dinosaurs underneath, like the ones that are buried lower than the ones on the top, like the way you figure out how 
old they are is you have to count the number of layers of sediment that uh, form each year, you know, and then you um, count them down until you get to the bottom. And and what you assume, like your basic assumption is the world it continues as it was from the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. So everything continues as it was. And so like if, if uh, this amount of sediment is one year's worth of dirt, all you're doing is just adding that all the way down to get to like these dinosaurs that are buried below the ones on the top. But then... The problem with all that is that's built on a bunch of assumptions. And But then when you're going to write your stories about them all, right, you're writing your stories about them all, they all are operating in different periods. And so you're thinking the ones at the bottom are at a different period than the ones at the top. And then you have to write big, massive like narratives to try to get from the ones to the bottom to the ones at the top and how that all worked and what their life were like based on these series. But then when you think about like how many layers were laid down, when like Mount St. Helens erupted, like all these layers that we're counting, they were laid down in several hours. And you think about like, like why, why is there so much vegetation that's buried underneath the ground? And why are there so many animals buried underneath the ground? And like what, what typically happens when you have an animal die? Like what typically happens when an animal dies is it lays on the ground and it gets eaten. Like it, it only is going to fossilize if it's rapidly buried. And it's like, well, why do we have animals all over the earth and plants like where we get all of our oil and our natural resources? Why are they all buried underneath the ground like in mass amounts? All right. Well, (laughs) maybe because the world was flooded. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that's what's funny is like, Hey, you know, eventually all dinosaurs were wiped out in some kind of catastrophic event. Yeah. Oh, you mean like a, Flood, you know, yeah. they're like, oh, well, you know, maybe. And then you're like, well, you mean like a worldwide flood? <laughs> uh, no, no, not like that. <laughs> right, but see, but see, so with, with something like that, though, you can have someone who's very, very intelligent, who has adopted like a bad starting point. And then you get a bunch of intelligent people who have adopted like a like a ridiculously. I mean, like the Big Bang, uh, like, you know, um, life coming from nothing these are all just absurd magical irrational stupid starting points right Mm -hmm. to say that everything that exists like started out as one small speck of dust that just rapidly expanded right Mm -hmm. i get the speed of light and created everything that requires you to break all of the known laws of physics that apparently can never be broken Right, right. And so like you think about like how many miracles have to actually happen in an evolutionary worldview. And so what what happens is you get a bunch of smart people who are ignoring like the dumb assumptions at the bottom of it all. Mm-hmm. Like how did all those how did all those dinosaurs get buried like that? And all those like how come like there's so much vegetation that is fossilized buried buried all underneath the world and mm. pressurized like rapidly pressurized like you think about the condition so you have to deny all these basic starting point assumptions about everything and you like you ignore that and then what you're doing is you have a bunch of intelligent people getting together and trying to speculate how you can make sense of that ignore the starting point right and then you just build like a, a house of cards on top of it and and then they all like cite each other right as experts mm-hmm. but then the problem is it's all based on nonsense like and and so you can get like very intelligent people who are have a moral interest in suppressing the truth, who are basically asking you to deny, like just everything that your eyes see, 
or I see, you know, and that can be verified in the way that the world actually works. Like it's like, hey, you know what? Like I've never actually seen one animal transition into another type of animal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, and if you try, like what happens is like nature resists that, right? So like you try to breed a lion and a tiger, you're going to get a ligon or a tigon uh, or liger liger. or tigon, liger or tigon, and they're going to be sterile because nature is going to prevent that kind of thing. And so we have no like, ability to replicate this but we're asked to believe it at every single level because it's just you have to assume stupid right you have once right. you assume some stupid proposition then you can you know take all your intellectual abilities and build a scaffolding on, on top of dumb and then you end up getting something that may sound like persuasive but then when you examine the base of it it's nothing right? yeah you get a tower right in the middle of stupid town huh yeah, basically. Uh, you know, but but I think you know my the point I was trying to get to there is I I think that because you have people who can be who re, I mean legitimately are you know intelligent, right? Um, right. But then they're stupid, they're fools when it comes to morality and and um, the implications of like what God has revealed to us through general and and um, special revelation or specific revelation, uh, what then happens is it becomes very tempting for other people to, you know, hear the, hear these intellectual people come out and make the ridiculous claims that really don't add up when you just think and use common sense, they don't add up at all. But then it's very tempting because it's like, well, Hey, you know, they're the one that spent 12 years researching this. You know, I just, I just work my day job and and right. so I'm just going to I'm just going to, you know, that sounds pretty crazy, but I'm just going to trust them, you know, and then and then eventually it just becomes so ingrained in society that it's like don't you dare ever challenge this theory because it's still a theory. <laughs> well, yeah, that dare. happens in yeah, it, it happens in every way possible, like and a lot of it's related to just the sophisticated vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you want to master any subject, you master the vocabulary in that subject. And I can I'll often, what's happening is, like, you, if you wrap everything in technical language, then you're going to confuse people. And they're just going to assume, if I can't understand you, you must be more, you know, intelligent, because you're more intelligent than me. And because you're more intelligent than me, I'm just going to defer to you. And, you know, and that's where, um, like, when, when, I mean, you can do that in every single area, and that's part of what's happening with psychology in general. Is is it's like painted in this very sophisticated language, but then if you basically just take your take a step back and ask basic questions of it, it all just falls apart. It's all nonsense. It's all crazy. The same thing is true of like evolution. The same thing is true of like this atheistic materialistic science. If you just ask some basic questions about it, it all falls falls apart. And I mean, they can't. You know, they can't answer questions that your two-year-old will ask them, <laughs> right? Right. right. <laughs> like your two-year-old can ask them questions that they have fundamentally no answers to. You know. Yeah. So. Um, you know, and, and it's interesting. It's interesting too, because like like you're saying, I mean, I mean, there are there are you know hunter-gatherer societies that recognize basic truths that we fail to understand. You know, like I, you, like we. I mean, right now we're we're pretending that you know because because our society rejects truth and thinks anyone can do whatever they want whenever they want essentially you know we we think that men can all of a sudden become women and women can become men and not only that but that those aren't even the two sexes there's more than that you know and 
and it's not tied to your biology. And, and, you know, we have politicians that can't even tell you what a woman is. And then you've got like Matt Walsh going to the third world country in Africa and asking the African tribe, you know, Hey, can a, can a man become a woman? And they just laugh at him because they think he's telling a joke because, because they see, you know, they recognize reality and it's not because, you know, what, what's funny about a situation like that is, is all of the intellectual people, they can't just outright call the African tribe stupid for rejecting the gender thing that they believe, because then they're going to violate their other, you know, their other laws related to uh, it's all nonsense race theory. Yeah. So, so their own, their, <laughs> I mean, they're everything they believe contradicts itself and, and eventually that shows, but then they keep playing into the lie and hoping that if they, if they say it loud enough, if they wrap it in enough technical language, you'll believe that they're the ones who have access to knowledge and have access to the truth, but nothing could be further from the truth at that point. Right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, so. it's all nonsense. I mean, and you know, the more that you get the experts <laughs> to agree, um, you know, most people just go along with it because right. we're kind of made to be sheep and we're made to be followers. Right. But I mean, it's all absurd. I mean, like transgenderism is absurd. It's an absurd idea. Like, um, it, you know, and, and you think about the series of contradictions that all the social justice crowd is trying to get you to hold together in the same uh, in the same moment, I mean, it makes your brain hurt, you know, so I'm supposed to believe like simultaneously that a woman, right, that a woman um, is um, basically can do anything a man can do and probably better. So I'm right. supposed to believe that like uh, that women have been oppressed by men. So I'm supposed to believe that women have been oppressed by men and women can, women can do anything that a man can do um, probably better. And then at the same time, I'm supposed to believe that a man can just decide arbitrarily that he's become a woman and then receive all the privileges that I'm supposed to be giving to women in order to make up for the oppression of men against, you know, the quote unquote oppression of men against women. So I'm being asked to believe <laughs> that men are the villains and that women are the victims but then if a man decides he wants to be a woman, then he is even more of a victim than a woman is towards a man. The math gets so hard to follow. He gets, He's the ultimate <laughs> victim at that point. But then, you know, how does he even figure out that he's a, you know, transgender at that point? Well, he basically says that, like, I've realized I'm transgender because I gravitated to all, all those stereotypical female things right yeah that the feminists are telling me are not real and don't exist and like are just social constructs and so like for the feminist i'm supposed to believe that all those gender stereotypes are just social constructs that women only like pink because we train them to like pink and boys only like blue because we train them to like blue but then when the transgender boy says like hey you know i like pink then we're supposed to believe well you must be a girl then right Right. yeah (laughs) Yeah. And so it's all nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. And the African tribes will shame us for stupidity. <laughs> who, who, yeah. Who knew that the third world countries would soon become the, the leaders of morality <laughs> in, right. our, in our world. But, you know, so, so, okay. We've said all that, you know, um, we understand that there are people who reject the fact that there's absolute truth. And, and the reason that they do this is because they're morally bankrupt. Uh, they're living lives of rebellion against God um, you know, uh, so, so we've established that, but then, you know, how do we interact with those people? How, how, how do we share the gospel with a person who says, Hey, I don't, you know, sure. Maybe, maybe there is absolute truth, but you know, you can't know that the gospel is absolute truth. 
any more than I can know whatever I believe to be true that we, we just can't know how do how do you interact with a person like that and share them the gospel, um, you know, in the, in the most faithful way possible? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of, a lot of people who treat those kind of objections with uh, more seriousness than what they actually are. Uh, but then I think if you remember what Roman says, what which uh, true is plain to them, right? They're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, and God's revealed Himself, and that's plain. Um, I, I think like most people's impulses at this point is is to basically have like a philosophical discussion with them, mm-hmm. and you know part of what's happening is a similar thing to Jesus with the woman at the well, essentially. So you know Jesus is confronting this woman at the well, and she, and you know telling her that. You know, the man she's with is not her husband and and all that. And, you know, instantaneously she ch- changes the subject and, you know, basically says, you know, I perceive that you're a prophet. So why don't you answer my theological trivia at this point mm-hmm. and tell me, you know, the Jews say that you, we worship God in Jerusalem. You know, the Samaritans say that we, you know, worship him here. Who's right? And so she, she kind of like, all right, you're, I perceive that you're, there's something more to you than what meets the eye. Let me ask you my theological trivia. That's what she says to him. And, you know, but Jesus, you know, goes to the heart of the issue there at that point. He doesn't really get distracted. Uh, So like, so what I'm trying to say is like what we, what we can off, what people often do with these kind of issues is they debate like individuals on their terms, right? So you can try to give them philosophical arguments for the existence of truth. I mean, you can, you know, um, a lot of people will just end up, um, and I don't recommend doing this, but they'll end up just trying to answer their questions and being on the defensive the whole time, defensive the whole time. And then, you know, the opposite of that is you can go on the offensive. And I think going on the offense is a little better than just letting them unload on you, like one question after another question after another question after another question. Like, you know, so I mean, I've had plenty of atheists do that kind of thing where they just ask me question after question after question after question. I'm giving them answers. And at some point, it's just like, hey, man, I can answer all your questions, but all you're going to do is just come up with more. Like, have you considered that maybe you don't know what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think, you know, so people can stay on the defensive route and keep it in philosophical land, or they can go on the offensive where they, you know, say, hey, you know, that's self defeating, right? So, like you say, that uh, absolute truth doesn't exist. That's an absolute truth statement. Um, explain that, right? Uh, well, how do you explain morality, right? So go to like moral arguments. And so they go on the offensive and try to get them on the defensive at that point. But I think really like when it comes down to it, um, the best thing you can do is just pre- preach the gospel to them, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just, I, I mean, I, I think I, I can, I've never been able to, you know, um, I, I've, I've been in those kind of situations and like atheists, they're just, like over and over and over again, like I attract atheists to me, like uh, um, <laughs> flies to honey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're just so sweet, Tim. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So I do, I do, I attract them. But then the thing is, like you know, I've been, I've been in situations where I've just answered like a hundred atheist objections, and it doesn't do anything. And and you realize that, like at the end of the day, like this is a moral issue. And so, I mean, I had a friend. Uh, I had a friend of mine who, who was an atheist and, you know, I answered every question he had. He had hundreds of questions and they're all the same easy softball atheist kind of questions. And I answered him at some point. I just looked at him and I said, like, what is this about? Like I've answered a hundred of your questions and you don't want to be a Christian. And you like, it doesn't matter that you were wrong about a hundred different things that you thought you were right about. 
Like I've given you an answer to everything and it doesn't matter to you. What's this about? And you know, when it came right down to it, he just looked at me and he said, you know, I don't want to become a Christian because that means that I won't be able to, he didn't use this word, but fornicate anymore, essentially. Yeah. And like, that's what it was about. Like, it's a moral thing. Like the, the Bible says the men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. And that's what Romans 1 is saying. They're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And it's like, that, that's what it's about. Like, um, you know, when you're talking to like one of these like fallen pastors who've now become an atheist and all that, you just look at him and you say, hey, man, what's her name? You know, what was her name? Yeah. You, you know, that's like what that that's typically what it's about. Like, and so like, like the, the issue is like, like this, these are like people might try to, hey, you know, we're get you engaged in theological trivia and philosophical questions. But at the end of the day, it's like you need to repent of your sins and believe the good news. Like, you know, um, you know that you're guilty and there's no answer to that. Right. You're guilty. Like, why do you feel bad when you do things that you do? Why do you feel like why, why do you feel wrong about them? Right. Like, where does right and wrong come from? It comes from God. God made you. And you know that right and wrong exists, and you you don't have any fundamental solution to that guilt that you feel. And you can answer, you can ask all these questions. I can give you answers all day long, but one day you're going to stand before the Lord, and He's going to judge you for the truth that you had access to. Like that's going to make it even more severe for you. And so you know, there's one, there's the only hope for you is that you repent of your sin, quit suppressing what you know, believe the good news. And so I think you know people need to just. Like not make it overly complicated. These people just need to hear the gospel. They may respond, they may not, you know. But they're a sinner just like everyone else, and they're suppressing what they know and in unrighteousness, and just call them to repentance, man. Right. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I remember watching a a, a debate between Brandon Robertson, who is a you know quote unquote pastor, uh, who affirms all the LGBTQ stuff and um, amongst many other sexually immoral claims that he makes that go even beyond LGBTQ. Um, he was having a debate with James White and Jeff Durbin on Apologia radio and about uh, same sex attraction and whether or not it was biblical or unbiblical. And at one point towards the beginning of it, they asked, they asked Brandon, you know, um, was he tempted, uh, towards same sex relationships before or after, uh, he, you know, he believed that, uh, it was biblical. The same sex attraction was biblical and, and he was honest. He said before, it's always a moral thing. Yeah. It's always, it's always a moral thing. And, and that's what I found with people um, who reject, you know, certain parts of the Bible who say that, hey, we can't, you know, you're taking this out of context or you're, you know, you're misunderstanding what's being said or you don't know the original language or um, or, uh, you know, we can't, you know, that's just your interpretation. But we can't actually know what that verse says. Every, it, no one says that about like, you know, the, you know, love the Lord, your God and love your neighbor. No one says that about that verse, you know, no, no one, no one's saying that about uh, the verses about Jesus dying on the cross. No, no one's saying any of that stuff. They're only saying it about the verses that are, you know, clearly condemning all of the things that our current society loves. Right. Those are the right. ones, those are the ones that compl- that are complicated. 
even though they're not. They're not complicated at all. The Bible says that same-sex attraction, for example, is an abomination. That's not complicated, you know. Um, so, but I, I think that's a good place for us to end. Tim, is there anything else that you had before we go? Yeah, I definitely just, you know, I encourage people to realize that these are moral questions and these are, you know, this is a moral problem and you don't have to know. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to be able to answer every single objection that any atheist have. And I mean, often they're not very deep objections anyways you know mm-hmm. a lot of people can get intimidated by them because maybe they use big words but they're mostly they're just pretty easy kind of questions in general but you don't really don't have to answer every single question there is to answer just remember that this is a person who's suppressing the truth and unrighteousness call them to repentance call them to believe the gospel and let god do what he's going to do and you know god like uses that same message to harden some and uses that same message to save some so for some it's the fragrance of life to life and to another death to death and who's sufficient for these things yeah yeah absolutely and you know finally you know it's always good to remind ourselves to trust in what jesus has said and and i like that verse that you brought up in john 8 you know jesus saying if you continue in my word you're truly my disciples then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So let's, you know, let's continue to trust in what Christ has said and, and let the world, you know, continue in their folly and, and call them out on their folly, call them to repentance. So uh, our hope is that this conversation was helpful for you guys. And, you know, Tim and I, we love to do this every week, talk about these things and, and interact with you guys online, hear your um, encouragement towards us, uh, field your questions that you ask us uh, publicly and privately. Uh, we appreciate all of those who support us and support us financially and help us to do these things and help uh, fund running the podcast because you know it, it does take money. It does take money to do it. And so we're thankful for all of those who have chosen to do that. Uh, and you know, we encourage you to join, uh, join in supporting us financially, uh, if, if you want to, so you can do that at our Patreon. There will be a link below. Um, but besides that, we'll look forward to having you on the next one. This has been another episode of Bible bashed. We hope you have been encouraged and blessed through our discussion. We thank you for all your support and ask you to continue to like and subscribe to Bible bashed and share our podcast with your friends and on social media. Please reach out to us with your questions, pushback, and potential topics for us to discuss in future episodes at BibleBashedPodcast at gmail.com and consider supporting us through Patreon. If you would like to be Bible Bashed personally, then please know that we also offer free biblical counseling, which you can take advantage of by emailing us. Now, go boldly and obey the truth in the midst of a biblically illiterate world who will be perpetually offended by your every move. Thank you.